0: ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 30 million cards, from baseball superstars like Aaron Judge to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I just wrapped up a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. It started off last Wednesday. With me playing in an alumni game. I got a call from somebody that I used to go to school with, and they were hosting an alumni game at our old high school and wanted to know if I would be willing to come back and dust off my old uniform and play a little bit. And so we had an alumni basketball game, and it was a lot of fun. I survived. I did not break anything, I did not pull anything, I was a little sore, wasn't used to uh, running full speed, sprinting up and down the court at that level for that long. But it was a lot of fun, got to see some people I hadn't seen in a while, and, and just had a real good time at that alumni game. If you want to see some clips, I put out a TikTok, and I, I posted it also on Twitter, so if you want to see some clips of that alumni game, you can check it out there. Then we got a chance to do the normal Thanksgiving stuff and got to see both sides of the family, so that was nice. Got to spend some time with my parents, uh, my sister and brother, and, and their families and then also uh, my wife's side of the family as well. So it was a a real nice weekend, then made it back to be able to open up the shop for small business Saturday and Sunday. So real nice Thanksgiving weekend that we had. Well, today we are going to bring on some guests that a lot of people have uh, very mixed feelings about. Today we're gonna be interviewing Colin and Ryan from, from Sports Card Radio. And we're going to get into their background. I think what you're going to see is is maybe a perspective that you, you wouldn't have thought when you think about sports card radio and the, the content that they produce. I think we're going to get a little bit more into the whys behind it, uh, what they did, their background, kind of what they did leading up to sports card radio, and maybe a little bit about their intentions behind the characters that they play. And yes, I said characters that they play because I think... That's an important distinction to make when you think about Colin and Ryan. So I hope you enjoy this. The the conversation actually went so long, we're going to be splitting it into two episodes. And so we're going to be kind of part one today that's more about them and their background. And then we're going to do part two next week where we're going to talk about their perspectives on kind of where we're at today in the hobby. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. We're going to get into it after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors that breaks new product almost seven days a week now across Loop, Facebook, and YouTube. You can see what they're going to be breaking this week by checking them out at udogcollect.com. And you can also visit them at their brick and mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee to see their full selection of wax, singles, and supplies. They're also an approved group submitter to SGC. So if you're looking to get some cards graded, you can learn more about their group submission program by visiting them at udogcollect.com as well. And when you check them out, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. After working in a card shop in their teens, they opened a shop in the mid-2000s, a shop of their own. And after shutting it down during the 2008 economic downturn, they began focusing on content creation and started the Sports Card Radio website and podcast. They're some of the longest-running podcasters in the hobby, and at the same time are some of the most loved and most hated characters creating content today. Colin and Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: What's up, Mike? How's it going,
0: Mike? I am doing well. I'm excited to have this conversation today, kicking off a Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, should be a, should be a lot of fun. Many of the folks who have only recently discovered your YouTube channel aren't really aware of your multi-decade background in the hobby. Let's talk about those early days. What was it that inspired you guys to open your original card shop?
1: Um, well, I mean, we first started, it was maybe 20 years ago or so, right around 2001 or or so, we got a wholesale license or a resale license. And, and so we started online, uh, started selling boxes on eBay, primarily and, you know, buying boxes wholesale uh, and then reselling them, reselling cards and things like that. We did that for, I would say five or six years. The goal wasn't always to open a shop, but we kind of just moved into that direction. Uh, That was right around 2006. And so uh, the shop was a mix. It was probably like 70 or 80% um, like apparel, like sports, like the stuff that you find on fanatics these days, like t-shirts and jerseys and hats. And it was probably 20 to 30% cards. And, uh, you know, we had an eBay store and, you know, in 2006, the economy was pretty good and it made a little bit of sense. I think our first year we did okay. And, um, by 2007, you know, things started getting rough where, where we were, I mean, really across the country, but, um, You know, we certainly could have done things differently, but yeah, I mean, we've been buying and selling cards for over 20 years now, uh, primarily. And, you know, it really just started out as just, you know, we started out as collectors and then we kind of transitioned into kind of the more business side of it. And I, I think that's where a lot of our content comes from today. We're more interested kind of in the business side, the buying and selling of cards rather than the actual accumulation or collecting of them um but yeah we really just started 20 years ago or so and and just kind of you know evolved over over the years really
0: were you entrepreneurial as kids i know you worked in a card shop but but did you kind of have that money making entrepreneurial type spirit as as kids
1: probably so probably more so than other people we always kind of had At least not maybe centered around cards, but the always the idea that we wanted to own our own business, interested in business, interested in stocks from an early age. And I don't know really where that comes from. Both of our parents, you know, work full time jobs and we're teachers and stuff. So it was just something, a bug that kind of hit us. We did start very early on working behind the counter in a card shop. I mean, I think this was like in seventh or eighth grade. Both of us were working behind the counter, sorting cards, sorting through sets, picking out singles doing little things for kind of a card shop where we grew up. So we probably saw the business side of cards kind of early on and maybe sooner than a lot of people do. I mean, we were in seventh and eighth grade kind of working in the back and understanding kind of the finances and the economics of a, a card shop back. This would have been in the kind of late mid to late 1990s. So we always kind of had that in the back of our head. Uh, you know, the card shop that we started up, you know, like, wasn't a lifelong dream. In mm-hmm. hindsight, it was certainly a bad idea. We were younger at the time. Uh, neither of us probably very good operators of kind of a retail store, a retail business like that. So, good experience in hindsight, but uh, neither one of us. And I could certainly speak for um, you know myself. I, I was not set up for that type of job. When you open a store, you know, it becomes a full time job. And in that time, the internet wasn't what it was. Uh, there was, certainly was eBay. But I think nowadays, if you own a shop, it's much easier to reach a, a bigger audience, sell things, and you could kind of hustle more than back in those days when cards certainly didn't have the popularity that they did now. You know, people looked at baseball cards as eh, what? And so... You know we didn't do a very good job but we learned a lot and it we kind of parlayed that into kind of our next step in the card world with the website and the content creation and so on and so forth so it was a good learning experience and even to this day i mean i bought 500 dollars worth of cards you know the other day so i'm still kind of buying and selling cards but in a much different way kind of similar to how you do mike with using com c and buying really kind of cheaper cards so was still involved with buying and selling cards but it's not the kind of main focus. I do it more for fun and uh, just to see kind of how b- big I can build a C portfolio. And it's fun to just flip cards and stuff.
0: Well, after the shop went dunk down, it didn't work out quite the way that you thought. And you adapted. And like you just mentioned, you started creating the website. You started creating content. Where did that idea come from?
1: I would say I was working. uh, So towards the end of the shop, it, it was struggling. I start working for an insurance agent and he has a podcast and I start, you know, realizing that there was an opportunity there. I remember also when we're running our shop, there were times where there's obviously there wasn't a lot of people there. So I was working on our website and I was realizing that you could make money on eBay affiliate network. You could make money with Google AdSense and things like that. And so it was always something that I had at the back of my mind that, hey, that's something we could, we could kind of transition into. It started out as just the podcast. I think I started in July of tw- 2008, somewhere right in there. It was actually right before we closed the shop. And as the months went on, we closed, and then I remember just saying, "Hey, we could maybe build this because I was already getting traction, people emailing me and stuff like that." And so I was like, hey, "We could probably build this out into a website." And I think Sports Card Radio was actually started in January of 2009, so it was several months later, and that that's really how how it started was just. I wanted to maintain a connection with the community. I wanted to, I mean, we had spent all this time. We'd spent at that point over 10 years of our life kind of buying and selling cards. I wanted to just continue to move it forward. And I I just knew affiliate marketing was just kind of getting up. Online advertising was just kind of, Uh, becoming a a growing business. And I thought it was a cool way to make money where you could just kind of sit or his line was, I just want to sit around and make money. And I was like, well, I think we could sit around and work on these websites and then make money um, on it. And less people were doing it back in 2008, 2009 than certainly they are today. But um, I I certainly saw that there was some opportunities there and we had a little bit of knowledge on on trading cards. And so we just kind of ran with it from there.
0: Where did you learn about website creation and affiliate marketing? I know you just said you kind of were dabbling with it, you know, as you were doing the, the website for the shop, but did you do anything in particular or specific to learn about building a website and building an audience and, and building that kind of affiliate revenue?
1: It was really, it it was, it was really just trial and error. It was a lot working with different, there was like pro stores, eBay owned pro stores. I think back then where it was like, it was almost like Shopify for your eBay store. So I started there. And then when I got the job with the insurance agent, I basically kind of faked it that, Hey, I know how to do websites and he was like okay and then he gave me this whole website to build out so i basically taught myself how to build out websites and it wasn't as it's not complicated to build a website it's really the front end is pretty easy what you see it was like learning the back end that that took some time and it was really just faking it with this insurance guy and then him giving me a bunch of tasks Having to figure all that out and then seeing, oh, he's getting traffic, he's doing marketing this way, and then kind of translating that over into trading cards is is really, it was all self-taught. Obviously watching at that time, maybe a little bit of YouTube videos, but it was a lot of like reading forums and reading Q&A, reading uh, different types of things and just kind of self-teaching yourself. Uh, along the way. And none of the websites that we have are, are at all complicated at all. But, um, you know, you can you can teach yourself these things. And it's obviously a lot easier uh, today than it was 10, 12, 14 years ago or so.
0: Between the both of you, you've dabbled in a variety of content areas. You've hit on Beanie Babies, tickets, stock analysis, Amazon selling and reselling. Mm-hmm. And some of those you've continued, and some of those that you know you've eventually stopped. What process do you guys go through when you're kind of thinking through and determining if there's an opportunity to go deeper with one of these different websites or, or shows, and which when it's time to just kind of shut it down and back off?
1: Uh, for me, it's changed a lot. Uh, for me now, I only do what I really want to enjoy. It used to be driven more financially, and I got into scalping football tickets. I mean, the most money I've ever really made is scalping football tickets for about four or five different years. Uh, you know, that's a completely separate thing than, um, building a website. It's similar to flipping cards, but just imagine if you bought like say $10,000 worth of cards and then at 1 PM, all your cards are with zero. So it's just super high pressure. Uh, very lucrative if you know what you're doing. And certainly I learned a lot of the basics of scalping football tickets from buying and selling cards. It's very similar, but uh, it's high pressure. Certainly when COVID came around, it was a, a free year off for me. So now, you know, kind of after COVID, I re re-evaluate, reevaluated, and I was like, I only want to do things that I really enjoy. So it doesn't matter how lucrative something is. I, if, if I have to get up at 3 a.m. to flip a Miami, Florida versus Kentucky football game, it's like that's not even if it's lucrative, it's just something I don't want to do. So actually sitting around and creating the sports card content, it is a lot of fun. It's it's probably one of the most fun things that we can do, especially, you know, it's, if it's me and him on a live stream and we're just yucking it up, talking about God knows what and just making fun of people. I mean that's kind of w- what we've been doing for many years, and now uh, we've certainly got a lot of eyeballs on it. So for me personally, I don't have any kids, I don't have a family, so I can kind of pick and choose. Hey, I only want to do these certain type of things. I, I you know, I don't want to have a whole lot of stress in my life, so I've chosen to just focus on a few very narrow things, and uh, that's for me. He might he has some kids, so he might have to yeah. kind of uh, do some finance more things out of financial judgment, but uh, for me, it's more out of, ju- I would judgment. just say, Hey, it's all about, um, don't be scared to fail. Like, you know, like the, the shop that that could be looked as a failure, but without that process of going through that, having to show up at whatever time we opened, having to be there all these hours, it kind of led us into like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to sit around and, and have to be somewhere eight to five every single day. Um, you know, so without that experience, it wouldn't have pivoted us into like the content. And with the content, don't be scared to fail. Don't because you always learn something, every website, everything that we've done, we've always learned from it. And, and you always get a little bit maybe better appreciation for what does work and what you really do enjoy. But oftentimes you learn a small piece that then you can kind of translate over into another piece of content or another business or something like that. So my thing has always been, don't be scared to failure. In fact, when you fail, that that probably is a sign that you are on the right track. You are on, you are about, you're very close to success when you have a lot of failures, especially if you're learning from them and kind of building on them. So for me, it's always about just trying something new. I, I personally appreciate kind of building something up when something's kind of reached like where it's made money and reached its peak. I lose a little bit of interest in that um, and so I'm always kind of looking for that new thing, new excitement to kind of start something up and, and see if you can't build it up.
0: I think you hit on something that's important, right? That that willingness to to take a chance on something and not get hung up on if it's a immediate success or, or a failure. Where did you develop that comfort and that realization that adapting is is crucial and that it's OK to try all of these different things?
1: I would say just a lot of business people that, especially later after college, uh, admiring a lot of business people, that was the advice I constantly got. uh, Growing up playing golf, You're constantly failing, constantly having to try new things, constantly having to adapt your game, having to, you know, feel like one day you're on the midst of being a pro and then the next day you feel like you can't even hit the ball. And so it was probably just a mix of uh, growing up and then growing up in Stockton, you're just constantly uh, presented with challenges and temptations and things like that, where you constantly have to, um, you know, readjust your focus. But for me, it was, it was a mix of, it was probably playing golf and, and learning the discipline of that. But then also after that, getting into business, studying all the great business leaders uh, where almost some of the first things they talk about are their failures. And in fact, they, they're they more open and and excited about their failures than they are their successes. And so for me, that always got me in the right mindset that, hey, if you're failing, you know, like if you try to do exceptional things, you are going to fail quite a bit. And so if you're not failing a lot, chances are you're not, pushing yourself hard enough. And so it was always just that mindset of push yourself to failure, um, because that means you're pushing yourself to the edge and and often to the edge of success. And so that that's just where I've got got it. And it's just kind of come naturally, I think a little bit, but also kind of learned it through through business school through business leaders, things like that.
0: So you guys have been working for yourselves for the last you know 15 20 years now could you even go back to working for somebody else oh. at this point no 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 no, no way Man.
1: no way no way 100 no way that i've been offered things that there is with with children now if i was a single guy and i wanted to make it, you know if i got offered a job at google or twitter or one of these companies maybe But with children, no way, Uh, no, there's no chance, no chance. I could do something if it was, if it was temporary, like, oh, I go work the Arizona Fall League for two months and did something for them. And even if it wasn't, you know, even if it was like for minimum wage, if it was something that was fun or something that I would enjoy or put me in a place that was fun, I would consider it. But it would have to probably be a short period of time because at some point my you know I'd be sitting there after a month, probably after probably hour one or two, and I'm like, what am I doing here? I could just go home and make a few videos and probably, you know, make more than this. So at some point I'd yeah, the 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 just the proverbial clock would run out. But I could I could see doing something for a very short period of time if it was something I really wanted to do, if maybe it was some with some people that I wanted to work with. But you know those opportunities don't present themselves. I'm not out looking for those opportunities. But if some randomly something came up and it wouldn't even have to be for money it would be just more for an enjoyment if it was like a certain area of the country or you know something like that you know or go run help run a card show you know and 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 spend the last couple months helping running a card show I think that would be fun something that would be good experience but no we could I yeah I mean we could
0: never we'd get fired (laughs) up to the first hour I'm sure so well I I hear Twitter has a few openings right now
1: I'd be yeah if I was a single guy I'd and I have had better understanding of the coding. I that would be a job I would I would love to try to get, but I can't, I can't do it. I can't live in San Francisco. I just wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Let's talk a few minutes about how you guys are perceived in the hobby. There are some people who just absolutely hate you guys. And I've heard you both describe your approach to content with this idea of playing a heel character, you know, a heel character in wrestling, similar to that WWF bad guy. And you've never been shy about calling out scams and scandals and shadiness, but there is a line between discussing those topics and then going over the top and and full on taking things to the next level like you guys like to do. When did you decide to not just kind of be bold and report on the, the negative aspects of the hobby or, or some of these things that weren't on the up and up, but go full on into that bad guy character?
1: I would say the turning point was the industry summit probably in 2013, maybe um, before, before from 2008 to about 2012 or somewhere in that range, our website and our podcast and our content was, would be viewed as super positive or whatever it was. Um, and, and, and at that time, certainly there were negative things to report on in the hobby. And certainly when something weird happened, we would report on it, but, It was a different time. It was a different time in the hobby, different time in in our uh, development of of developing content. But then he shows up at the industry summit and kind of, you know, was kind of trying to stir the pot, if you will. And um, I think the guy, Kevin Isaacson, basically was like, get the hell out of here. And we haven't been back since. And ever since then, it was kind of like, you know, like, hey, we don't need these guys. We don't need, uh, you know, the industry. The industry probably needs us more than we need it. And so, you know, just ever since then, it it would, it it had taken a turn a little bit and it was always, it was a little bit of a balance those next few years where it was like, we'd still talk about like this set came out or this, you know, this was cool. And then to like, oh, this shadiness, this redemption card or whatever it might be. And so I think it, it just started to pivot when, you know, we started to get to know, I think it was also, yeah, you started to get to know the people in the hobby and you started to realize, like, I think I always had a term, like you show up at these things and nobody's got a nice watch on, nobody's got a nice pair of shoes on, nobody's driving a nice car. And I'm not trying to disrespect these guys, but it's like, you know, like, how, how can I respect these guys if, you know, like they're making, you know, less than we are on some stupid website. So it's like, you know, I think we started to just, see these guys for what they were and kind of see through their BS and just started calling them out on it. It certainly has just ramped up as the, the years have gone on. I don't know if he has a different recollection on this or. I think that's about right. It's kind of when we started to get to know people. And, but yeah, I, I think a a good thing to point out is probably there was about four or five years where our content was very G rated, very positive. We gave away a lot of cards. Um, We just produced, you know, Made a lot of checklists. Uh, The podcast, I'm sure, was pretty safe. You know, it talked about very safe topics. I mean, all those things are still on the website. People could go look. And there was kind of a turning point there. I do remember one of the employees at Tops coming up to us at that. It was like 2012 or 2013 industry conference at the Orleans. And he's coming up to me and his hands are shaking. And he's like, why don't you? why don't you want to partner with us? And why don't you want to be nice to us? And I just remember looking at him and be like, I don't need anybody in this room, like look, looking him dead in the face. And so I think that's probably when things changed. But, and now, you know, we've been making some YouTube videos for the last nine months. It, it really feels like we've had to kind of tone it back. I know Mike, you've listened to some of our podcasts that, well, you got to make sure your kids are in bed or certainly there should be a few more, you know, bleeps or an explicit warning on it. I feel like some of the subjects we've talked about and how we talk about people, we've actually really had to dial it back. I actually remember editing a clip for a video that I made. And I remember listening to the podcast and being like, whoa. And it was a 30 second clip. And I had to edit out five parts of what he said. And I can't even say him on this podcast. It was like, oh, can't say that anymore. Oh, can't say that about that person. Oh, can't suggest that. But the clip ended up being a really great clip. But there were literally five parts of a 30 second clip that I had to edit out that you just can't say those things anymore. So <laughs> I mean, we've I feel like we've had to dial it back, but part of it is uh, we've been around so long. We've been we've been doing this for 14 years. So anybody that's been doing content for 14 years, you know, your tone of voice might change, your your yeah. your view of the hobby might change. Mm. Certainly the hobbies, you know, changed quite a bit. Mm. So I think it is okay to, you know, you don't have to push it as far as we have but you know i think it's okay to challenge things in the hobby um and uh, certainly we have you know a much larger audience than we do now but this is pretty easy this is easy for us this is something we've been doing a long time again we've kind of i feel like we've had to dial it back in the last couple of years i remember some of our 2019 podcasts are just you know you can't you can't play those things right now for a lot of different reasons for language and just some of the things we said so uh, but it's 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 a lot of fun. And yeah, I think I think our tone changed probably. I mean, it's probably going on about 10 years ago or probably about eight eight to ten years ago. So we've kind of played this heel character for about eight to ten years. It's gotten easier for us. you, know, you gotta have thick skin. Uh, you've gotta embrace that you're gonna have half your audience potentially hating you. Um, I think we actually lead the league now in converting haters, we've had a lot of people who've hated us maybe at the start of the year and now all of a sudden they're like wait a minute I kind of like those guys I mean we get those comments and those messages quite a bit. So, uh, you know, we'll see what 2023 brings we'll see how our tone changes. Look, full disclosure, I could see a scenario where we pivot back and now all of a sudden we're like, oh, sorry guys, we're doing G-rated content again. again I'm enjoying buying and selling cards. Let me show you that process. Maybe, you know, whatever happens, I could see a, a total pivot back to the G-rated content. Maybe somebody offers us $200,000 and we make <laughs> G-rated content. So, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where, hey, we our tone could boom, shift back. So for now, this is what we enjoy doing. This is what we're used to doing. Uh, there's not, not many people who fill that space in the hobby. So uh, I think for now we do enjoy that coming out and hearing the booze a little bit. And we kind of, you know, embrace <laughs> hearing the booze. And so we don't, we don't mind that at all.
0: Yeah. You guys have really leaned into that role from the sports card perspective. And I think people would be a little bit surprised if, of how you come across differently on some of those other channels, podcast shows that that you've done over over the time. the the power selling, you know, Colin, you weren't anything like that, right? on on that one. Um, the same thing with some of the videos that you had done, you know, for stock analysis. it it's a it truly is a, a character and a role that that you guys are playing from the the sports card world. Many people view you guys as two guys who are consistently negative and hate the hobby and only looking to tear people down. But if you listen closely, especially in some of that older content that you were referencing, you did mix in a ton of helpful educational content, right? You were sharing some great ideas on content creation, encouraging people to start their own blogs, websites, podcasts. Um, you were telling people how to get started buying and selling, flipping on Com C and some other platforms like that. And that's honestly where I was inspired to start Wax Pack Hero and start the the podcast from taking some of those educational nuggets from the the content, kind of filtering out some of the nonsense and pulling out some yeah. of pulling out some of these helpful ideas. And, and a lot of people miss that, right? They only hear that 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 surface level type stuff, especially from that older content. Is being helpful actually one of the goals that you guys have in your content?
1: Oh, I mean, in with Sports Card Radio, uh, probably not. I would say, like, it, it at, at this point in the past, yes. Uh, now, I think it's more to to get a reaction, get the boos, get the cheers, get the get the get the conversation started i think what we we do a decent job at now is just put out a, a really quick video on a topic as a couple of weeks ago it was like the kaboom stuff or the 86 fleer stuff it's like put out an idea and then four or five other people or maybe more than that are, are will will then discuss it with from their own perspective and their their own angle and i actually think that's that's really cool um and, and so i think you need both sides if everybody was just putting out one type of content, you wouldn't get that kind of back and forth. And so I I think now it's really just put the content out there that draws a reaction, draws discussion, and then watch the other channels, watch the other people discuss it. Um, Certainly in other content. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, my finance channel is all about, teaching people how to to read financial documents really is, is what it's all about and i could certainly be attacking certain companies certain industries certain other content creators i don't really go that route um only because the the mission of that channel is not really to to, to, to cause problems and cause conflict. I get enough of it here as well. Might as well uh, focus my attention here. Um, And so, yeah, I think in the past, yeah, it was, we touched on all the topics, like where to buy and sell, what you know, how to start a website, how to do this, how to do that. And then kind of documented our success doing these types of things as well. And then at some point you just kind of run out of uh, maybe fresh perspective on that. And it's like, yeah, we could talk about check on my cards a lot. We could talk about, Thing, you know, ways to build websites, build content, market yourself. But at some point you lose a little bit of, of, you know, passion to, to, to share those types of things. And I think right now our role is really just kind of put out, put out something. Um, we get fed 99.9% of this. And so it, it, that's kind of our role is there's a lot of people out there getting scanned or rolled and then they come to us to get their, their perspective or their message out. And I think right now that that's fine. And I, I'm sure if we're around in another 10 years, it probably will be something different, you know, but for now, I think that's, that's where we sit with this.
0: Any thoughts from you, Ryan?
1: Yeah. I think at this point for me, it's, yeah, it's not so much education. First of all, there's a lot of people who know far more about the hobby than I do and deal in much higher valued cards than I do. I mean, I'm focusing buying and selling cards that are $10 and under. I couldn't tell you what the last, any release of Panini or Tops is. Like I'm not following that. So there are people who know more about the hobby and kind of the ins and outs. Kind of like Colin said, our role is we get information. People feed us information. They know we have no filter and we're willing to kind of present any story. So, you know, that's kind of our role to present these stories to the hobby that maybe wouldn't get told. And I enjoy that. I actually really enjoy that. If I had to sit here and make a video and you know talk about the ins and outs of uh, a vault or an out or how to use PWCC, you know I might fall asleep after you know a minute and a half. But you know if I get to come on camera and be like, "Hey, this guy took this pack that you can clearly see right there, and he took it and he went like this," and uh, guys, so uh, yeah, see you guys later. So I mean, that's fun for me. That's a, that's a super fun and super easy. And it certainly, at least at this point, is, is drawing some attention in the hobby. And if, hey, people take that and run with it, you know, that that you know it's fun. I mean, watching some of the stuff in the finance space and guys get called out, I mean, I feel like we need to step it up a notch. I mean, I've seen some scams happen, you know, certainly there's these crypto scams and, and some of the way these guys talk about people. So certainly I think our role now is to not inform. I think we did that for many years. We, you know, we put out really kind of dry content, you know, the the checklist and so on and so forth. And some of the podcasts were just strictly informative. I think now it's really kind of playing that, you know, wrestling heel, the TMZ role, the, hey, here's, here's this story and just let people kind of, you know, kind of run with it. So I'm still learning about cards myself. I learn about cards from other people and uh, you know other content creators and listening to you Mike I listen to your podcast a lot and cuz we're kind of in the same you know you're you're buying a lot of like cheaper collections and kind of stuff like that and that's kind of the the kind of the area of cards that I like to kind of play in so you know, I'm learning more from other people than probably trying to trying to educate at this point
2: like the athletes we admire the sports card shop is changing the game We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave Game Room is the perfect place to throw a rip party. Bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sportscardshop.com. Or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world.
0: So there is part one. A little behind-the-scenes insights to Colin and Ryan and the background of Sports Card Radio. What got them started with the website and blog. Kind of the thought process of what makes them tick. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Did anything about that surprise you? If so, let me know. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Send me an email at waxpackhero at gmail.com or reach out on TikTok or Instagram at waxpackhero. I'd love to hear your feedback on the first part of this conversation with Sports Card Radio. Well, that is all I have for you today. Tune in next week for part two of our conversation, and it would mean a lot to me if you would tell a friend about the show want to help continue to reach more people, help more people and grow our community that we've got here. That is all I have for you today. So I will catch you next time.